0: Welcome into the Musketeer Report podcast. It is Monday night, November 20th, 2023, and the Xavier Musketeers. Are three and two on the season back to back losses to Purdue and Washington before a win over St. Mary's. Xavier splits out in Las Vegas, the Continental Tire main event. They lose to Washington 74 to 71 on Friday night. And one of the more frustrating losses that I think a lot of Xavier fans watching that game would tell you that they witnessed and came back with a nice 66 to 49 win. Over St. Mary's on Sunday, a really good bounce back. And I'll tell you a very tough day on Saturday for that team in between. And they got the message. They responded accordingly and they came back on Monday or on Sunday. I'm losing track of days, Rick. I don't know where I am or what, what I'm talking about, but on Sunday afternoon, uh, they came back with a nice response win that game by 17, um, not to take anything away from Xavier at all. I'm, I'm not going to because they needed that win. They played very well. They had an elite defensive performance. They held a team under 50 points for the first time since 2021. That was against Norfolk State. And I saw somebody on Twitter. I, I went back to try and find it to give him credit. Um, I think it was the Advocare in 2015 was the last time that Xavier held a non-buy game opponent to less than 50 points. Um, So it's been a while since Xavier has put on a, a defensive performance like that. So not to take anything away from Xavier, but St. Mary's is in a world of hurt right now. They've lost three in a row. They lost to Weber State coming into the week in Las Vegas. And then they lost a disaster of a second half to San Diego State and then got run out of the gym by Xavier, which kind of felt like the opposite of the Purdue game where... St. Mary's was never really in it, even though they were just down by 8 or 10 for a while. They were never in that game. Xavier had control the entire game. St. Mary's made one tiny little run in the second half, but Aiden Mahaney fouled out. He did not shoot the ball well. Uh, But again, I'll reiterate, it was a great response because um, Sean Miller was not pleased after Friday night's game, to say the least. I think everybody probably picked up on that. And uh, Saturday was a rough day, but they recovered well. And now here they sit at 3-2, and two, um, one of the top 20 defensive teams in the country. 14th and, uh, right now
1: as we started recording this podcast, I
0: saw. Four, 14th and their 30th overall in Ken Palm. So they started the season 34th They went down to 43 before St. Mary's. Now they're back up to 30. Um, I don't know what to make of this, but it's a better note than... What could have been 0-2 uh, if Xavier had gone 0-2? You and I predicted 1-1, and 1, Rick, on the week. They ended up going 1-1. and 1. They just did it backwards. It kind of made me laugh and think about that tournament in Brooklyn a couple of years ago where we thought Xavier was going to beat Iowa State and then lose to Memphis. And then I, I think that was the Imani Bates team. And then Xavier ended up losing the first game to Iowa State, winning the second game, and then kind of used that momentum from there. Sort of felt similar. Who knows? Who knows where the momentum takes you going into Thanksgiving? But all that is to say that Xavier now at least least had a happier flight home across the country last night that was delayed by like three hours because of wind out in Las Vegas. So we got home around 5 a.m. Eastern time, but so it goes.
1: And here we are. I think everybody fell victim to the reactionary state of mind after the Washington loss like we all went into this weekend thinking or this past series of games in the, in Las Vegas thinking one and one sounds about right for the Xavier team. Yet they lose that first game against Washington and it was ugly in the second half and I think everybody goes, "Oh no, this team's in big trouble. There's no way they're going to beat St. Mary's." I shouldn't say no way, but it doesn't look good going against St. Mary's. It it could be 0 and 2 very likely and I even predicted a loss. And honestly watching St. Mary's you could sense that something isn't right. And this team just isn't who prognosticators thought they were going to be before the season started when they were picked to be a top 25 team. I think part of it is, if you remember the former uh, UC guard, Logan Johnson, more athletic, quicker ball handler and playmaker for them, They lost him and another athletic player off of their team. And that's all they lost. So they brought a handful of guys back. that were key contributors from last year, including Aiden Mahaney that you were mentioning. And so I think a lot of people thought that that St. Mary's team was going to be really good once again. And looking at them and some of their their high major matchups so far or their better competition matchups so far, they just don't look very dynamic at all. They're kind of like the poor man's version of Purdue, but they don't have that seven foot four behemoth inside to, to play through that that makes it all well. I mean, that, I, I just watched their guards and I just see very little athleticism on either end. I don't see guys who can create separation and get into the lane. And I think that's contributing to a lot of their problems. And Paul, I mean, it, it, like you said, don't take, anything away from Xavier because this is a win that they needed it was a a feel-good win for the Musketeers after what happened at Washington but I also would agree with you that I think St. Mary's is just a team that's lost right now
0: yeah and I think now you have to hope that St. Mary's gets it figured out and it turns around because this would be a nice quad one win away from Cintas if that's what it remains going into the selection Sunday in a few months but the way things are trending right now, I mean, St. Mary's, they dropped from, where did they start the season? They're 76th right now on Ken Palm. They started the season at 38th. They dropped from 44 to 60 to 76 in a week. I mean, just a, a precipitous fall for them. Um, But I, I will say when you talk about the reactionary uh, emotion from Friday, I had uh, Xavier Muskie from Twitter. He texted me on Saturday after that Friday night game. And he said, Paul, I need a Scale of one to ten. Where's the panic meter uh, for this for this team right now? And I said a six, which I think is fair because and and I'd probably still stick with a six going off of that game against Washington because I don't. Can I can I throw out a new rule? Just that I, I
1: I can't get past Uh-oh. this. If, oh no, yeah, if, if, go ahead. If we don't know them by name, I'm not sure that we can
0: mention a, a Twitter. Well, handle he's on the board. Texted you. He's on the board. <laughs> Who? Oh, maybe Who? you know he might he might be on the board. He might be on the board. People. I might, mean, it's okay, not no a mind. name Never that we mind. know. I mean, come on. A I, thought, I thought Twitter texted you. I thought he was. I thought you got to at least go know.
1: government name
0: for us. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hold my boy there. Uh. So anyway, so he texted. So he he texted me on Saturday, and he he was asking me my panic meter, and I was like, look, you know, between what we saw on Monday and what we saw on friday neither one of them are wins but one was a whole lot more of encouraging loss than the other one where on friday they looked apathetic they didn't show energy didn't look like anybody wanted to be there they were slipping around which i will say i don't think this played into it at all but for what it's worth t-mobile is an ice rink like people were falling all around there is ice underneath the court i don't think that that's why they were slipping and sliding but i did see some jokes on the message board it looks like they were playing on an ice rink they were
1: no, I, I actually, I actually wrote that exact line that they were playing with a greased ball and on an ice rink because it was like, yeah. you know, Des Claude has like he just takes two dribbles and the ball just goes squirting out of his hands. Then um, I, I can't remember if it was him or someone else later in the game just starts to drive and their feet go right out from under them. I mean, they they've had some weird turnovers early in the season, but fortunately they got that fixed for St. Mary's. They were fantastic taking care of the ball.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I just you're trying to figure out what's that middle ground. Where's the difference? What, what is this team shooting for in between Monday and Friday? Which one is the real team? I think Monday and Sunday was closer to what this team will resemble than Friday. But the reason that it made me nervous was knowing that that Friday performance is in there for a new group like this.
1: Well, and and they were definitely better against St. Mary's than they were against Washington. But I mean, I again, I think... you. Washington's probably a little bit better than a lot of people wanted to admit going into that matchup and St. Mary's clearly isn't a very good team right now. I mean, I'm not saying they won't figure it out at some point and get back to closer to what they were expected to be, but right now they're nowhere close to being that team. So I'm not sure how to measure those games, not only from the Xavier standpoint, but more so from the competition standpoint right now. And so we, we started this week saying who knows what the Xavier team is. They've, they've got a lot of, development ahead of them and a lot of progress to make to to become a a competitive team that that's towards the top half of the Big East and I don't know that we learned a whole lot after this weekend I mean we saw two very yeah. different games and uh two very weird opponents I would say like that Washington team is just kind of weird because they've got a very unique cast of misfit players that individually can be difficult to guard, but I don't love them overall as a team. I'm not, I'm not sure how well they'll do this season. And then St. Mary's, like we said, is, is just kind of a disaster right now. So how do you process all of that? I'm not exactly sure, but I do think there were some really good things. And Paul, I mean, we, we've talked this long. We are almost 10 minutes into the podcast and we have not yet talked about the debut of Lazar Djokovic. We have got to get to this because, I mean, that was the number one thing that has been talked about among Xavier Nation on social media over the last month.
0: So he gets in on Friday. He plays 17 minutes. He scored seven points, two or three from the field. Knocked down that three. uh, Showed a little emotion after the three, two. And it felt like he needed some confidence under him. Uh, In fact, he, he posted on Instagram today. I forget what the exact caption was, but it was something to the effect of not my best, but starting to learn. Um, I, <laughs> I, I think that's what it was. I, 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 think, I can't, i not think my best start, be not my best, not my best start, but learned a lot. And remember what we talked about last, uh, last week when I said, Hey, maybe let's temper the expectations for somebody coming in here and making their debut. And that is, it could not have been any more spot on to what I was trying to allude to where, Hey, let's, instead of putting all this pressure on hoping that he comes out and scores 20 points right away which in fairness I don't think any fan that has watched a lot of basketball is probably expecting that in day one but in fairness also to everybody who has listened to us and you me Adam Shelby we're the only people that are telling you about Lazar right now and what we've seen from preseason practice we have talked a lot about him now it's the opportunity for everybody out there to watch him and he had look wasn't it wasn't the best on Friday, but you saw him start to settle in. The more and more he got out there, rotated through, came in his first first possession, came back out. And Sean talked about that after the game. He said, "Look, I don't, I don't know if 17 minutes in his first game was the best way to handle that, but you got to have a first sometime. You got to put him out there. You got to make the best of this kind of an experience." He felt like that was the best way to handle it, and I, I thought you saw progress at least going into Sunday.
1: I don't think that. Lazar like a lot of people realize even the situation not only was he coming off an injury and and making his debut in America debut in America and all of that but he had also just missed two weeks of practice so I mean you're talking about a guy who can't really be missing a lot of practices because he's just learning everything and just getting settled into the system and you lose a little bit of wind you're not quite yourself and you're going to go out with all that energy and in a high major game on the road that's just a a tough situation to be in for lazar so there was never really a chance i don't think that he was going to come in and and play wonderfully now the, the question becomes and i think where a lot of fans are maybe starting to realize is that they wanted a guy who was going to going to completely change this team right away And I think they're finding out that that probably just isn't realistic, not to say that Lazar can't help and not to say that Lazar might not have some big games this season, but I think you're seeing there's still a lot of learning going on. There's still a lot of questionable decision-making by him. And when he goes into the game, especially at the center position, All of a sudden, the team doesn't rebound the same way. There's not the same presence inside from a physical standpoint. So there are definitely some things they're going to have to work around. And I don't think it's going to be instant success for Lazar. But he is definitely a nice weapon to have. I mean, you want that extra firepower. You want the potential that he can bring. And he, like Sasha Ciani, who we'll talk more about, is just getting better and better the more that he's out there.
0: Yeah. I mean, without a doubt, you look at what it Lazard did on Sunday goes out. He only had three points, but you, you get some more minutes under your belt, played 15 minutes on Sunday. And the more possessions, just the more he gets out there, the more he's able to play, the more he's able to get in the groove just outside of practice with these guys. You, you can tell, I think, uh, I think too, I'm really interested to see how he adjusts from what feels like a lot of pressure that he puts on himself. He, he, from just being around and seeing how he interacts and seeing how he, you know, uh, operates on the team, it, it feels to me like he's always trying so hard and he can get down on himself when he maybe doesn't make the right play. You saw him get knocked down a few times, and I, I think the more that he responds to this coaching staff of, of what they're trying to do with his role, I, that's just going to increasingly get better at a exponentially fast rate.
1: Well, you were also mentioning some of the social media posts, and th- I think this is going to be a thing with Lazar. Like, I think there's going to be some, um, how do I, tomfoolery maybe uh, when it comes to Lazar and maybe his on-court antics in terms of showing the emotion after made baskets and things, and the the social media post. I just get the sense that he's got a personality, and we're going to get to know that sooner than later. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of that come out. But from the basketball standpoint, I'll just say on a positive note, you you watch some of the things he can do. That first oop that that he caught uh, right away. I'm not sure how many guys Xavier has had that have the combination of his length, his skill, and his athleticism. It's it's just a unique combo, and you can do a lot of things with those tools. So uh, I'm anxious to see him progress, but I do think it's going to take some time.
0: And his his size too. I, I, He's a he's a big guy to be able to go out there. He's it's not the same well, kind of size length well, wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean he, he's not a stick either. Well, but I mean he's getting pushed around an awful lot.
1: I mean, when he, he is when he's in there, they just they're not a defensive rebounding team at all.
0: He, okay, then let me ask you this. Do you think that size or do you think any of that is effort or intensity
1: well it's tough it's toughness for sure i mean it's all the things that we talked about that is going to limit him last week right like he's still learning he needs to get stronger because he's only a freshman and he's kind of got the if if you were going to talk about he and sasha and, and label one of them the more stereotypical euro player he is that. I mean, he's the skilled guy, yeah. the guy that wants to yeah. play on the perimeter, the guy who's a little bit softer in terms of the toughness. Uh, he's got those attributes to him, and and so some of it's going to be mindset, but some of them, some of it is just legit physicality. And he is thin. I mean, he's you know he's got somewhat of a base. He's not a rail, but he is a thinner player, and not I don't think your typical center, at least not yet. Now, could he be two thirty five, two forty um, a year or two from now, and holding down the center position much easier? Yeah, I think I think that could definitely be a possibility.
0: So we talked about Lazar, the other Euro big that we need to talk about. Absolutely, is Sasha Shiani, who had a fantastic weekend. In fact, he worked his way into the starting lineup. He starts on Sunday. Oh, go ahead. Were you gonna say something? Hmm. Oh, I thought you were about to say something. Um works his way into the starting lineup on Friday against Washington. He finished, he just had those two points in uh 10, 19 minutes, but then makes his way into the starting lineup against St. Mary's, and he played 21 minutes, eight, six points on three of four from the floor. He just, he's tough. He can get to the basket. He I mean, Let me ask I love you this. it.
1: You were around them all weekend. How much of that decision to start Sasha do you think, was Sasha making an impact and producing, and how much of it do you think was the staff s- seeing what Abu was doing and kind of sending a message that like Sasha is, is playing the wet more the way we want you to play right now and kind of dangling that carrot for Abu of like, we need you to step it up and, and play a bit more the way Sasha is.
0: Well, so I asked Sean in the press conference on Sunday after that, why they decided to go to Sasha in the starting lineup. And he said, the, obviously the foul trouble was, has been an issue for Abu and that, he, they felt like Abu was putting a lot of pressure on himself to perform early in a game, his high intensity and his high motor, and he was coming out so strong right away and picking up those early fouls that they felt like it was putting a lot of pressure on Abu to not then go out and pick up those. Because that's been the message. We knew coming into the season, Abu was going to have foul trouble. That's The the one big knock against him was that he cannot defend without fouling. We've seen that. We saw it on Friday. He was in for, what, 19 seconds before he picked up his fifth foul. I mean, he just can't defend without fouling right now. So by taking him out of the starting lineup and letting him ease into the game, the coaching staff felt like that was a better play. Plus, complementary to that, is how well Sasha has been playing to start the year, which – I don't think you and I can say enough about how far he has come to now in the fifth game of the season being put in the starting lineup and not just being put in the starting lineup for the first war, performing really well when he's in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're grading on a scale, right? Like when we say really well,
1: it's really well in comparison to what we expected after seeing him when he first arrived. It's not really well compared to like Biggie Center's. Because yeah. that's the issue yeah, Xavier yeah. is going to face that like they do not yeah. have a legit biggie center right now. And that's why they're having to start Sasha Siani and scramble a little bit right here. So I want to temper things a little bit because I'm I'm high on Sasha Siani. I can't believe how far he's come in two months. But when he got here two months ago, I thought this was going to be a project that we might not see for a couple of years. I mean, legitimately, it looked like it was going to be a real struggle for him to get to a point where he could give you minutes in a high major division one level. Now, maybe that's just me being a terrible scout and uh, analyst, but I think you would you would back me up to some extent that it was it was a real um, a, a real process in terms of those first few weeks. And since he's, I think, gotten a lot more settled in and understands where he's supposed to be, what he does within the system. I think he's playing a lot faster and moving a lot better and everything's just looking more natural for him all of a sudden. And um, I think he's a guy that, you know, a a month or two from now we're going to be really impressed with, some of the performance he's putting forth against some of the, the biggest top big men. Now I don't know that he's going to get the better of them. I don't know that he's going to put up impressive stats all season long, but just his strength. And I, I, I mentioned it last podcast, but I love that Sean keeps saying it. Cause he said it again this weekend, a few times that he just keeps calling Sasha serious. He says, Sasha just yeah. takes, it takes basketball really seriously and takes practice really seriously. And I just like how Sasha kind of has that, uh, Stone cold look about him. He never changes emotion on the floor unless he just kind of screams a little bit,
0: and that's a little scary. He is he is Ivan Drago. Yeah, it's it's like
1: he's playing up the whole image perfectly. I love his look on the court. I love the way he plays. He is going to be a fun player to to watch and follow over the next few years.
0: And I'll tell you what you see on the court with him is what you get. As far as I'm here to play basketball, I'm serious. I'm tough. I'm not going to be pushed around that that's who he is off the court on the bus whatever it is i mean he he has a personality but he he's there to play he's there to to go in there be an enforcer type of a player and he's he's going to uh mold into that i think as you see this season go on and as he gets more confident in himself too
1: yeah I mentioned this in my write up on musketeerreport.com com that I think he when, when he was in there this weekend. Especially against St. Mary's, that's the points where Xavier's front court was the most stable uh, across the board, whether it be how they were running, getting post touches and and getting results out of them defensively and most importantly, defensive rebounding Uh, that I think all all across the board, he was the most solid of the big men. Now, he, he wasn't perfect. And they definitely had some issues inside and in, in, in the front court. And we can talk more about those, but overall, I, I think it was, it was like you said, a good weekend for Sasha Siani and he's earned the, the climb up the depth chart and the move into the, the starting rotation. And quite honestly, I don't know that he's going to give that up.
0: I'm with you. Um, all right. How about, uh, how about we talk about the defense right now? Because the defensive intensity of the weekend, especially the performance on Sunday against St. Mary's now has Xavier's defensive uh adjusted defensive ranking on Ken Palm at 14th. Like you talked about the offense is 60th. The defense is 14th. They held St. Mary's uh in that game. I just want to make sure I have it right. 13 of 47 inside the arc and five of 23 from three. Now, part of that was due to St. Mary's just. Not being able to hit a shot. And I think you kind of alluded to that in your write up. At some point, is water going to find its level with some of these opponents where they start knocking down shots? But right now, people just aren't hitting shots against Xavier. Well,
1: and something that Xavier, you know, someone mentioned on the message board in the right, this is a, a Ken Palm write up that's been on the Ken Palm blog before, that it's much, you can have a much bigger impact on three point shooting if you impact the attempts of your opponent you can take away three-point shots and have a big impact defensively it's much tougher to impact their three-point shooting percentage with your defense if they're getting a lot of looks chances are it's more about whether they're a good shooting team or they take good shots or not but it it usually isn't as much according to most uh this blog on ken pom and a lot of research that uh it's not as much about your defense in terms of the three-point shooting percentage of the team. It's more about how many attempts are they getting against your defense. And in that regard, Xavier's been good too. So I think their perimeter defense has been pretty good across the board. I think there are some reasons to be concerned about the front court because we've seen the foul trouble. I mean, Zach Eadie is an impossible matchup, so it's hard to say like, oh, they struggled to guard Zach Eadie. It's like, yeah, of course, everyone in the country is going to do that this year. So I'm not sure that that's a huge indictment on their front court defense. But I think you saw it at times in the first few bye games that they had some issues. And then certainly in Washington, I mean, Frank Kepnong, he's coming back from injury off of last year knee injury. And so I think they expect him to really pick it up and become a better player. But the first few games of the season, I mean, he did absolutely nothing. Against NKU, he did absolutely nothing. And then he plays a bunch of minutes against Xavier and he gets a double double and looks like, you know, a a major impact player. All of a sudden that doesn't seem to be a good trend for Xavier that these guys keep seeming to dominate the glass and play really well in the front court against their guys. So that would be my, my concern about the defense, but overall, I mean, you held a team under 50 points. You're in the top 15 of defensive efficiency. Obviously, those numbers have to be taken with a grain of salt this early in the season with such a small sample size. But I do think that with the offense lagging a bit behind this year and just not having the same skill level that they did a year ago, it's going to take them some time to get that ramped up to a, a really competitive level in the Big East. And during that process, they're going to have to rely on the defense more. And And it's good that they they stepped it up a little bit on Sunday.
0: Yeah, and Sean talked about that after the game—the the the intensity, right? You can coach. I I thought it was interesting after Friday night's game, where Adam and I talked so much about what Sean expects out of his team, what a Sean Miller coach team looks like, and Sean said in the post game press conference, you know, basically. You can live with missed free throws. You can live with turnovers because those are tangible things that you can go out there and correct. You can shoot, you can practice more free throws. You can go into practice and work on things to not turn the ball over. But when you're not tough, when you don't want to go out there and compete, when you don't want to hit a guy, when you don't want to go out there and wall up defensively, when you're lacking the things that cause you to respond after you get punched in the mouth like Xavier did in that first war in the second half where they got knocked down to the mat and they didn't get back up for the entire second half because what it looked like to me being there and I didn't get a chance to go back and rewatch it uh, on ESPN so I'm just going off what I saw in person but they got punched in the mouth they never responded And it just felt like Xavier was hanging on. They were playing not to lose on Friday. They weren't playing to win. And Xavier was the better team in that game, which is why it's so frustrating for everybody that stayed up till 2.30 Eastern time to watch it. Because it was a game that Xavier could have and should have won. But they didn't have that mental... they, They had that mental hurdle that they couldn't get over where they got punched and didn't punch back. And that's something that Sean can't live with. And we'll see if uh, Saturday and then Sunday is enough to kind of turn that tide around.
1: Well, I mentioned that in my write-up too, that it's going to be interesting to see because you know just not being tough enough on the defensive glass isn't something that Sean Miller is going to be okay with and going to live with. He's going to do everything in his power to fix that issue. The problem is I just don't know how fixable that issue is for this team. Like they'll, They'll get better for sure, but can they get it to a point where it's good enough I don't know because i do think they have some limitations i don't think abu has been good enough on the glass at least not consistently and if he's in foul trouble consistently can you even rely on him from that standpoint? And I do like when they go smaller with so- or with Lazar playing at the center position and you get more skilled, and a little more offense there. But as we've talked about, then you take a hit on your defensive rebounding again because he's not as big or strong or tough. And uh, the, the other guy that I'm kind of curious about, and I understand he, he's definitely falling behind on the depth chart and he doesn't give you as much, especially on the offensive end. Is Kashienze? I I mean, for a team that is really struggling to rebound and is having foul trouble, and you're you're not getting Abu Usman as many minutes now, it's a little concerning for Kashienze that he's not getting on the court at all, and he seems to be kind of uh, just last man on the depth chart right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Anything else on the rebounding, Rick? Any anything there for perspective, or you know, looking ahead towards? Bryant Oakland uh in the next week we're not going to podcast again until after the Oakland game because that's on Monday night next week we can podcast next Tuesday but um you know just looking at the next couple of games you're trying to get right before Houston anything that sticks out to you there on the rebounding side before we get into some other um some other things from the weekend
1: well, you know, Houston is just always one of the most physical teams in the country. They're always good at rebounding, regardless of what the numbers say about them. That's going to be a difficult matchup in that regard. Xavier will be tested in that way. Um, I guess when we look at, I mean, I, the like, like I said, I'm going to have my eye on the defensive rebounding all year long. I don't think that's something that's going away, but I do think it's it's something that Sean Miller will absolutely do everything he can to fix. In terms of the games coming up, we're, we're making our way through the non-conference schedule pretty quickly all of a sudden here. I mean, it, it seems like the season just started, but at the same time, you look at the games and there's only the six of them left before we're in conference play and they're going to happen here, bang, bang, bang. So my question for you is, Paul, do you think that this team can get to eight and three in conference play, which means they would have to go five and one the rest of the way. That would include winning your last three bye games and... Or, it would re- include winning the rest of your buy games. And you would also have to win one of Houston or Cincinnati.
0: Okay. So I guess this is the point in the show where we tell people that if you haven't heard yet, the big news out of Cincinnati yesterday was that Aziz Bandaga was cleared by the NCAA to play. So after uh, the appeal, the appeal, the appeal, the, I don't I don't know how many uh, appeals they went through. I know they went through at least two, right. Um, or one. And then, threatened litigation or i I don't know i think think
1: the real move was after the appeal was finally denied by the ncaa then they came back what uh threatening lawsuits and and i think that's what finally got it
0: through okay so either way the utah valley uh big man seven footer aziz bendago who's extremely talented very athletic beat uc last year in the nit very skilled player um he somebody that Quite honestly, West Miller really built the front court around this year, and then he was not eligible. And we'll see him on Wednesday night against Georgia Tech. Um, that, to me, changes the dynamic of this UC game. I think if this Cincinnati game was at Fifth Third Arena, it's probably a game where UC is favored by a handful of points because it's at Cintas. My guess is that. It'll either be a pick'em or Xavier might be a very, very, very slight favorite, depending on. I mean, look, we also you're talking about three games to go before this and Xavier goes out and beats Houston. That's an entirely different story. Um, I definitely think that five and one is possible. I, I will we'll pencil in the uh, pencil in the bye games. The rest yeah. Do you of the feel way. do you feel really good about the buy games right now? Because I'll say this: looking at the buy games, they're not easy buy games. Any of them, they're not. And I, and so before the season, about a week before the season started, I was doing my digging on the the buy games. They're not walkover opponents. I mean, Bryant just beat Florida Atlantic. You can call Florida Atlantic overrated if you want. I don't know if they're the number ten team in the country, but they're certainly they they certainly should not be losing to Bryant. I'll put it that way. Whether you want to say they're top ten. Whatever, I'm not going to argue with you about Florida Atlantic, but they shouldn't be losing a bye game to Bryant. Uh, That's what you need to take away from there. But you look at at the rest of Xavier's schedule outside of Bryant, you're playing Oakland, who by Ken Palm is about 50 spots higher than Bryant. You have Delaware, who's about 30 spots higher than them, and Winthrop. I mean, you're looking at three top 175 ish teams plus Bryant, who's at 214. They're all bye games, but they're not walkovers. It's not like you're playing. 250 280 290 and a 180 just to mix it in there
1: and they didn't exactly roll over those first couple of buy opponents so no, I, no. I mean i do you feel confident about the four buy games right now yeah i think yeah, i, I, I think i do after the, after I the do. Saint Mary's game
0: i do after the saint mary's game i do think xavier goes four and in the in the buy games but this is not the easiest by game schedule that Xavier has. And if we're sitting here saying that Xavier lost one of those four in the you know in the next month, I guess I wouldn't be overly shocked. Then things um, start getting a little, little hairy in
1: terms of what the overall record ends up looking like. Yeah. But I, I think they win all four by games. So then it becomes a too. question of coming off of this weekend, where are you at on can they win one of the Houston and Cincinnati games? Or maybe you feel like they can win both of them.
0: I think they, I think they very much can win both of them, but after watching what Houston did over this weekend, um, I believe, where did I watch them? Was, was that in Charleston? I'm trying to remember even what court I, they played Dayton that I think it was in Charleston, but I could be wrong. Um, I, I've watched so much basketball. It was, it was at TD weekend. arena. Okay. Okay. Um, that's what I thought. I was trying to picture the court. Uh, they are, they're good. They are very, very good. Uh, they, they are a special team. It's that classic Kelvin Sampson type gritty toughness type of deal with this Houston team. And the other thing is you look at the guys that they lost from last year and now have replaced, and they come into this year with maybe some question marks, at least early. They've answered those question marks in a big way, and getting that Houston win at home, I mean, that that would be goes without saying how big of a deal that would be i think if you're at five and one it's a houston loss and a cincinnati win um but this shootout now especially with the aziz bendago news to me except for the fact that it's at cintas makes this game a a complete toss-up if not even a slight edge at least on the court toward uc yeah i would
1: i would lean towards cincinnati right now based on what i've seen and obviously i just got a up close and personal view of of Cincinnati on on Sunday as they beat NKU. Cincinnati is better than I thought, and I do think that what Wes Miller has done with this roster, originally I was wondering, like, why is John Newman starting? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me uh, when when they played their first few games. Now, though, I'm looking at it, and they've got Day-Day Thomas, who's a Juco point guard that they had this year, who is very athletic. They've got John Newman, who is a bigger athletic wing, who's kind of their defensive stopper. Now all of a sudden you add a C-span inside at the center position, and you've got three legit defensive players, and, and you're very athletic as those three spots. So you can kind of mix and match around them, depending on who you want to put in there. But like Dan Skillings, to me, is a guy that needs to be on the court as many minutes as possible with the way he can score. And he's not great defensively. He has some lapses. But he's six 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 seven and pretty athletic. So I mean, when you start talking about the lineup, they can run out there defensively. I think they can definitely cause some some teams problems. And this is probably more of uh, from that standpoint, more like the teams Wes had Wes had at UNC Asheville. So I I think that or excuse, excuse me, UNC Greensboro. Greensboro. Um, but uh, I, I I think that's that's kind of. How I view it is, don't get me wrong, he'll help on the offensive end too. But defensively, that's where UC really caught my eye seeing them in person. It's like, oh, wow, they are legit athletic and fast this year compared to last year's team because it's like, yeah, you lost Landers, Nolly and David A. Julius. but those guys, especially on the defensive end, didn't really impact the game in that way. And so I, I think that's where UC is a bit different this year and, and what, what I'll really be watching. And it's a huge difference. Asis Bandego is going to probably be the best player on their team. And uh, that probably is, you could probably scratch that out because I'm pretty certain he's the best player on their team. It's it's a big it's a big deal for them to get him healthy. And, and you got to give Wes Miller some credit because quite honestly, if most people in the country thought he was going to be approved, I'm not sure that West Miller and Cincinnati get him, but they did get him because West Miller did think he could get a, get him approved. And then West Miller didn't take no for an answer once he got denied, he kept fighting for it and got it pushed through. So um, it's it's a it's a big get for them and now it puts a little more pressure on their season because I think their fan base is going to expect a, a little bit more in terms of results.
0: He does have two years of eligibility, so I I, I didn't see he did he fr- a redshirt his freshman year. I, I I don't know what happened his his freshman year. I think he redshirted his freshman year. I could be wrong, um, but he played the last two years. He was he went from Akron to Utah Valley to Cincinnati, and now here he is with. I mean, you go back and you watch his tape. You watch what he did last year and what he could bring to this team. I mean, he's he's very talented. Like you said, we don't need to go back over that. So um, I if there is a year where Cincinnati could get Xavier at Cintas, this is that year because going forward, and you and I have talked about this off the air, you have to feel like going forward, there's probably a, some pressure on Wes Miller to to get this done this year.
1: Well, yeah, to beat Xavier, I I do yeah. think it's, yeah, it's yeah, a really yeah. big yeah. year for him. Um, but I think this was that was the case before they got a I felt like it was kind of the year for them to get it done, and, and they were in a good spot. Now with the you really feel like they they probably should be the favorite going into that game. So we'll see how it plays out as we get closer. But um, I definitely think that changes the calculus a little bit in terms of when you start predicting Xavier's record in the non-conference. So I, I guess where I'm at is. I'm thinking four and two is probably most likely right now, but yeah. I, I think the St. Mary's performance was enough to give me, give me hope that, that this team could be five and one through the rest of the non-conference. And then if you're sitting there at eight and three heading into Biggie's play, I, th- I think most fans would take that after the, the tumultuous offseason that this team has had.
0: And eight and three going into Big East play is what you and I predicted on the preseason podcast. I mean, who knows how they get to eight and three from this point? But that's what we had down. So, yeah, I
1: it's going to be hard not to ride the roller coaster with this team, isn't it? I mean, I felt it. it, I felt it after the Washington game. I'm like, God damn! Like, maybe this team is really bad. (laughs) You know, I mean, it it was hard not to feel that way through certain points. And um, the, the good thing for fans is even though that game was unwatchable at points, there are still so many little fun things going on throughout the game, like whether it be new little wrinkles that they're throwing out there because because they're not running flow as well. And this is stuff where if you've watched the video breakdowns I've done with Trey Scotty, it probably makes a little bit more sense. But they're not running their flow offense as well as they did a season ago and, and generating quality looks. So they're having to be a little bit more creative with their set plays and run more set plays. And within that, you're seeing some fun wrinkles with, you know, doing different things for Trey Green now and and using him in in some new ways. So we'll probably get into that with some video breakdowns coming up. But I I think for fans, there are still so many fun things to watch because of what's on the line for the future, as well as this season, that it's going to be a a pretty fun year either way. Uh, But it is going to be hard not to get up and down with each performance, because I think this team is going to be a bit all over the place.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And you know, you could sit here and we could be talking next Tuesday after they split Bryant and Oakland and you're saying, Oh no, they lost a bye game. What what's going on here? And then they go out and they beat Houston on Friday and you're thinking, Okay, now you're back, and then you got a week off till the shootout and the energy just builds. It, it, it's it is it is all over the place. Actually, you know, I say a week off. Is there one in there or is that finals week? I could be wrong. No, it it is that they have Delaware, that Tuesday game. Xavier always loves playing that midweek game before the shootout. That is a yeah. Xavier special. Take the pressure off. They don't have to answer questions about don't what the shootout build means. Yeah. Don't let it build up all week. That is a Xavier program special to play the Tuesday or Wednesday game against a bye opponent before the shootout.
1: So Bryant, you mentioned that they just lost to Florida or they just beat Florida beat. Atlantic at Florida Atlantic Who and Florida Atlantic was ranked 10th in the country. And again, we can get into all about whether they deserve that or not. But regardless, it was a huge upset. And it's a, a big upset for a Bryant team that quite honestly was struggling and has been a bit of a disaster since their head coach went on leave in September. And uh, Phil Martelli's son, Phil Martelli Jr. has taken over as interim coach for a while. And now last week he was named the the actual head coach of the team. But it's been bit of a mess there so on one hand i was looking at this matchup thinking this is a bit of a a sleeping giant here for xavier you've got a, a bryant team that's been a mess but you've got a noon game coming off of thanksgiving the black friday the day after thanksgiving where you might have a weird atmosphere in the building people might not be quite ready for it and this bryant team actually does have some guys like they have earl timberlake who was a former top uh, 60 or top 40ish recruit in the country. He went to uh, Miami and then went to Memphis, and now he's made his way to Bryant. It's kind of a weird 6'6 power wing who can play the forward spot for them. Um, and and they've got a couple other guys that are legit talents as well. So it's kind of like, oh no, there might be one coming for that group where they actually put it together and just play like a every us against the world, everybody's coming for us mentality. And I, I think hopefully for Xavier that already happened against Florida Atlantic. I'm not sure that they have like – I'm not sure that was a sign of them getting things right and they're going to reel off a great stretch here. Um, and it probably got Xavier's attention enough that they won't be overlooking them at that noon game on Friday. But it could be a dangerous one, especially if there's not a lot of energy in the building because that that Bryant team does have some some difficult matchups.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's that's that on what we've seen. Rick, do you have anything any- – as I always say news notes nuggets that we haven't touched on yet? No,
1: I think I think that was pretty much everything. I mean, with the uh with the two big games I,
0: coming up. Oh, God. I, I do one, one thing that we haven't talked about just player specific wise was Davion McKnight and what he did on Sunday. I thought his 14 points that he scored and how well he played, how efficient he was, the shot selection that he took. I thought all of that was uh impressive. I th- I thought that was a really nice way and Sean talked about that after the game.
1: It was a, a really solid performance by him against St. Mary's. One thing is his mid-range game. That was the hallmark of how he scored 18 points per game at Western Kentucky last year. So that was the first time, I think, since he's been at Xavier, that we really saw the full display of of how he gets his points, which is knocking down those pull-up jumpers, getting into the mid-range, and, and doing his thing. So that was a good sign. I also think you got to you got to tip your cap to him for one turnover in the last three games. I mean, he went back to back games without a turnover only had one against St. Mary's. He's taking good care of the basketball. So I think he's definitely done some things. Well, St. Mary's was a a really nice performance for him overall though. I think they need more from him going forward. So hopefully for Xavier, that St. Mary's game was a sign of things to come because they, they need him to ramp it up a bit.
0: Okay. That's all I had. I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that before we got off. Yeah. And and um, Quincy too. I said that's all I had. That was the only other thing was I asked Quincy or I asked Sean about uh, Quincy's shot selection because he came out and hit those threes to start, and then I think it was kind of like a heat check. Started taking some threes a few more times down the court, and I asked him about his shot selection, whether he was happy with it, and he said, "Look, he's still settling into the system that we want him to run," whereas. That was what he did at rice. We want him to shoot. We want him to open up the floor for us, but we also don't want him. We want him taking smart shots and what he's doing, rebounding what he's doing with distributing the ball. Those are all of his roles now on this team, as opposed to what he was doing at rice. And he's just learning that.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the, that was the big message from Sean. It's like, okay, we, we trust that he'll make shots, whether they're all going in right now or not, but that's not his only role here. Like he has to pick it up defensively. He has to pick it up as a ball handler and take care of the ball. All those other things he has to do really well too. And in addition, he might need to take some better shots because that that's a feel thing right now, but there are times where you can just see he's going out of side, outside the offense. He's making some flat out bad decisions. He just doesn't need to do like they're, they're running enough stuff to get him good quality looks that I think if he just plays within the offense and tries to be as efficient as possible, you want to give your shooters confidence. You want to give them a little a green light and a little freedom to do their thing and get some heat checks up. But right now, I think especially as he's struggled to settle in, eliminate those shots for the most part. Just stick to the high-quality, good looks and try to be as efficient a player as possible.
0: All right, I'll wrap this show up for the third time. I'm out. I'm fresh out of stuff, Rick. Unless you have anything else. I'm fresh now, out. It's
1: kind of a weird spot with the two bye games coming up. It's like you just need to, to see the team get back out there and continue what they did against St. Mary's, carry that over, show some consistency the next two games, and then we'll talk about that Houston game afterwards, right? All right.
0: Yeah, it was good to see some Xavier fans out there. It was good. There, There was... It was a small but mighty Xavier crowd out there in uh, in Vegas. So good if anybody's Paul, listening to this, that was out I, there. Was I hesitate to even get into this. Oh, no. I
1: don't really want to get into your guys' silliness, but are you really having that many that much issues sitting down on chairs? Is that is that really that big of a problem oh, for you? Do I have to show you how to properly sit down in media rooms? What's going on?
0: It it was two days in a row, Rick. It was so bad. I mean, the chair. Oh, you saw how the chair just like it automatically went back up when you the, when there was no uh, weight on it. I
1: am so thankful that your press credential said Sean Miller podcast when you're causing a scene in the media room like that, and not Musketeer Report podcast. That's all I can say. That's all I can yeah, say.
0: That's fair. Yeah. You know, the whole I, I I took the row of chairs down because they were like connected chairs, so I took the row of chairs down. You can hear on the video. You can hear just the crash and burn. Oh, we it all. Was,
1: it was bad. It, it was it the was only bad. thing we heard. You couldn't hear the audio at all. Couldn't hear a thing Sean Miller said. Couldn't hear any of the questions. But you did hear a big crash and see you get up and turn around and look. That was great.
0: That was that was bad. All right, for the fourth time, this has been the Musketeer Report podcast. Xavier plays next week on Monday, so we'll be recording probably, I would say, Tuesday or Wednesday next week whenever we, uh, whenever we have the time. I don't know when NKU plays next week. So uh, when we have the time, we'll record before Houston. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.